RadioInfluence.com. Irish immigrant, now a proud U.S. citizen, Eric Corcoran, passionately unpacks why the freedom and liberty we have in America is worth fighting for on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. We hear all the time from many on the left that America is a mean, hateful, racist, evil country, that it needs to be blown up, figuratively, I hope they mean, and started over with them running the show, jamming their Marxist ideology, socialist utopia down our patriotic throats. Gee, I wonder why people from all over the globe are trying to come here, legally and illegally, many risking their lives to do so. Well, I really don't. And neither do many of you. We know better. And if we didn't, Eric Corcoran is here to provide insight and perspective as a former outsider from Ireland who not only embraces our nation, but also a particular American flag and is running with it, literally. So let's get into it. I very seldom meet or even see people who wear their patriotism on their sleeves, but not Eric Corcoran. He takes that concept to an even higher level, carrying the symbol of freedom and liberty at his side, Betsy, an American flag on a five-foot pole. I've personally been in his presence for five days, and like that credit card you're told not to leave home without it, I've never seen Eric without Betsy. If I did, I wonder if I'd recognize him. Well, the answer is a definitive yes, because Eric is one of those people you'll never forget. He arrived in the United States with his family from Ireland legally when Eric was eight. What he called the proudest moment of his life occurred when Eric became a United States citizen in the spring of 2016. Since then, he's worked on Capitol Hill, and served on the staffs of three national campaigns. He's been a faith director for a prominent presidential campaign. He's the leader of a South Carolina citizens organization called SC, We the People, that's SC, We the People, and the founder president of Businesses for Liberty. These are some of the things that he does or that he has done, but I admire him most for who he is, a young man with a non-wavering dedication to his Christian faith, freedom, and liberty. He rocked the house as a speaker at the Rock the Red Convention in South Carolina the first weekend in May, and he's about to set the airwaves ablaze right here. I'm elated to speak again on the air with Mr. Eric Corcoran. How are you, Eric? Mr. Benford, it's great to be back with you, brother. Uh, it was wonderful to be with you and to be with you and Betsy down in South Carolina. And I had a great time. I hope you did, too. And I want to start right there. Why did you choose as a topic for your speech at the Rock the Red 
keep our history and build our own economy. Why, 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 why was that the topic that you, you brought to us? You know, it's a very heartfelt two issues for me. Before I go into that, I want to thank you for what you do, Gary. All the oh, work. Thank you. People don't thank realize you. how much work goes in behind the scenes, all the recording, all the scheduling, all the crafting, the editing. It's a lot of work, and we need more patriots. On the airwaves. So God bless you for what you do. Uh, and I your sincerely thank that. By the way, I, I sincerely might say thank as well, that. Thank you for that. Those two issues for me, the history issue and building our own economy, are really what get me up in the morning. You see, I love my adopted country with all of my heart. And I saw in 2020 how, and we, we all saw it, how they started tearing down our monuments and mocking everything that makes America why my family and I immigrated. The people like John Wayne, the understanding of the founding fathers. Yes, even the war between the states. You see, I was homeschooled. And I read about these real heroes of our time, whether they were the North or with the South, or whether they were George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, whether they fought in World War II or gave their lives in the Vietnam War. All of these people make this country what it is today. And I challenge people, you know, you have bad memories, you have good memories, but they all make us who we are. If I took away all your bad memories, Gary, would you be who you are right now interviewing me? Uh, no, because as you just said, it's the mistakes you make that you learn from that helps to make you the person you are. Because none of us are born perfect. We're all a product of the fall. So eventually we're going to do stuff that's wrong. And you learn. At least you're supposed to learn from your mistakes, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I would challenge people. I challenged, you know, Black Lives Matter activists and Antifa people who hated my guts. And I just said, look, I want to have a conversation with you about these things, because a piece of granite does not hold you back in life. You hold yourself back. You have to make decisions. The Irish people went through hell, 800 years of slavery to the British. They were told no Irish need apply. They were indentured servants. But you know what's great about the Irish story? is that they fought through it and they became police officers and they became mayors and they fought on both sides of the war between the states, otherwise known as the Civil War. And they fought their way to where they are today. And, you know, I had a, fr a friend of mine uh, whose wife was killed at Mother Emanuel Church. And mm. he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, Eric, if you're a black man in America today, you should be the proudest of the proud. You know why? And I said, why? He said, because your ancestors went through hell and look where they are now. And I would echo the same with the Irish people, that we went through a lot of terrible things, but it made us who we are today. And America is that woven tapestry that's imperfect, but it, when you put it all together, it makes liberty, the greatest experiment in the world stage. So the other subject, building our own economy, came out of the history issue, and I hope I made this clear in my speech, that there is so much fear in this country since 2020. We've all seen it. And I said to myself, wait a minute, if people are telling me, you know, Gary, I can't come out there and stand with you because if I'm seen with you, I'll lose half my business. What if we turned it on its head and you got more business for being a patriot? And that's why I started Businesses for Liberty. And look where we are now. A lot of naysayers in the beginning, but God was right and the naysayers are wrong. I hear what you're talking about. And we've seen this over the course of the last 10, 15 years, where when somebody came out for President Trump or when somebody came out in support of conservatism who had been a liberal previously, 
they lost all their business, but they got more back from the other side. See, there's two sides to this coin. And when you lose one, you lose, you, you gain the other. I remember when I became, uh, I got born again in 1997. When I became a Christian, I left the Democratic Party plantation, became a conservative and lost a lot of family members, lost all my friends. Nobody would speak to me basically. But what ended up happening is that opened the door to provide me with a whole new set of people that shared my new values, my new Christian conservative values, people like you. And, and, and it, God has just replaced everybody with this whole family that are like-minded people. So that you're 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 very right about that. That is exactly what's what will happen if you give it an opportunity and don't cave into the fear. So since you were talking about Ireland, please explain what life was like in Ireland for you and your family in particular your father, and why you viewed and the family viewed America as a better place to call home. You know, I will always be proud to be Irish. You heard the first part of my speech when I said I'm Irish by birth and American by the grace of God, Southern by the grace of God, because again, I do live in South Carolina and I'm proud to be here. But I will always be proud to be from the Emerald Isle. Ireland has a long, illustrious history. And if you go back even to St. Patrick's Day, a lot of people don't even know the story of St. Patrick's Day, but it was a British teenager from, from the land of Britain who was brought over and he was made a slave to the Wode Raiders, which were, you know, Ireland at the time was a Druid, dark arts nation. There was no Christianity whatsoever in Ireland. But because of this miraculous story, which I could tell in maybe another time we talk, God mm -hmm. used this young runaway teenager to turn Ireland into a Christian nation. And one of the people he witnessed to was related to me. Ah, I mean, that, that's when, when people say, oh, history is boring. I'm like, give me a break. You know, <laughs> read about these people. It's, it's incredible. You are part of your history, whether you like it or not. When you go back in your family's history and, and so forth. So Ireland has a great, illustrious history, but there is a dark side to Ireland. And that was even apparent when we were growing up. And that was people were picking aside whether they were Protestants in the north or they were Catholic in the South. And unfortunately, based on what team you were with, it wasn't really about knowing Jesus. It was about what political divide you were on. And so when all that went down, and many people know about the 1998 Good Friday Agreement, they know about the IRA, they know about the bombings in Belfast, but what they don't really understand is a lot of younger people, my age and younger, left all church after all that happened. They wanted nothing to do with God. So what is the prevailing movement in Ireland today? Well, it's two things. It's Islam, believe it or not, Islam mm. and secularism. Mm. Those two are basically hand in glove. And it's, we've already seen it happen in England and it's taking place all over Europe. But when we came to America, I, I can remember just my dad looking at us and saying, boys, we're not choosing a team anymore. We're choosing Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with God. And I can tell you, America is better than anything I could have ever hoped or dreamed. You see, there's a thing called social class distinction in Europe. No matter how much money you have right now in your pocket, Gary, if someone finds out that your parents didn't go to the nicest college or grew up in the wrong part of town, you will never be good enough. You will never be good enough. But in America, you can come from anywhere. 
You can make no money. You can be like Rick Perry in Texas and not have running water in your bath till you're 11 years old, and you can run for governor and for president of the United States. America is grace because in America there's true freedom, and you can come from anywhere and be anything. I hear you. Now, before I ask you to tell about the problems your father had, because see, a lot of people in America, they think it's only <laughs> yeah. like the blacks and the Hispanics or somebody. And like if you're white or if you're from Europe and if, if you're living in Sweden or Ireland or any of these places, it's 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 uh, nirvana. I go back and I, ta- I think I told you this joke and it's one of my favorite jokes of all time. It was told by a comic by the name of Jimmy Walker. He was on the show Good Times. He played JJ on that show. This was a Norman Lear show from back in, I think, the 80s. And I'll never forget, he was on Johnny Carson, and Jimmy Walker's black, and he was on Johnny Carson, and he told this joke that just had me on the floor, and I've never forgotten it. He said he picked up the paper, and he said he couldn't believe the Protestants and the Catholics were fighting in Ireland. And he said, I can't believe this. The Protestants and the Catholics are fighting in Ireland. This just goes to show you in a country where there are no blacks, no Puerto Ricans and no Jews, people will improvise. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I hadn't heard that one. That's actually a really good one. (laughs) I hadn't heard that one before. And I've told that ever since. (laughs) And so... Talk about what it was like for your father, because people were wondering, hey, why, why, really, it was that bad? You know, it really was. And and here's the the interesting thing. I talked about this in my speech that my dad actually was a very successful businessman. He had shops in Ireland. He was trained in Vidal Sassoon. For any people in hairdressing who are listening to this Mm -hmm. an hour later, uh, you'll know that uh, obviously that's like the top of the top. You You don't get higher than Vidal Sassoon. So my dad, you know, had grown up with religion, but he didn't have a relationship with God. In fact, if you look at pictures of my dad, John Henry Corcoran, before he was saved and after, his eyes even look different. I'm not even mm. kidding. Like there's something about mm-hmm. something happened the to radiance. him. Radiance. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And he became a new creature in Christ. But in the middle of all of this success was great emptiness great emptiness. And my dad, you know, had some bad financial decisions and he lost it all. And like I said, you know, rock the red, sometimes you have to lose it all to gain it all. And my dad went from being this nominal Catholic who was just sort of doing the do, you know, going and cross himself and going out and living the way he wanted to live to an on fire believer because of an American woman with this box of audio cassette tapes that God told them to give those to my dad. My dad would have laughed at her, but he had been broken down at just the right time. God's timing is perfect. And he started listening to these tapes, and he heard Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Mm -hmm. non-denominational movement across the world now, and he heard relationship with Jesus and said, I have to have that. And he got saved in the basement, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he called the number on the tape all the way over to America and said, I need to talk to Chuck Smith. And People, you know, kind of laughed because, you know, there's a founder of a movement all over the world. And he said, no, 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 I know him on a first name basis. And, and so he got through to Chuck and he only said that because he'd been listening to Chuck for hour after hour. And they talked for, I think it was an hour. And Chuck invited my dad to come to America. But you have to understand in the middle of all this that was going on, we were being ostracized at school. 
Uh, you know, my best friend, Tony Black, wasn't walking with me anymore. People didn't want to associate with the Corcoran family. We were Jesus freaks. We were English. We were, you know, if you were anything not exactly in line with the way the politics was in the Catholic Church, you were a Protestant, you were English, and we were just simply saying, no, we just follow Jesus. We're not Presbyterian. We're not Protestant. We're, we just follow Jesus. And they didn't Amen. understand that. Yeah. But I thank God that because of even as bad as that was, Gary, that we wouldn't be in America today if it wasn't for the turmoil we had to go through to be called basically as missionaries to the United States. Well, I, I hear you. And now, you know, you know, movies get made about all kind of things. Escape from this, escape from New York, escape mm -hmm. from this place, escape from that place. Tell them what it took to get you out of the country, because if I remember correctly, it wasn't just smooth sailing all the way. <laughs> well, you know, I can remember when we were driving up to Northern Ireland for my dad was doing different, you know, church visits and whatever. We were getting followed because the, the bottom of our license plate said, you know, Republic of Ireland. And we lived in Southern Ireland. And there were some, you know, scary moments, you know, in, in large part, because, again, politics overtaking faith, not faith overtaking politics. That's why I said in my speech that it's not separation of church from state from the perspective mm -hmm. of the church having too much power. It's to protect the church from the state. And even if you go back, there is none of that writing in the individual founding documents. Nowhere to be found. But again, the Baptists were trying to protect themselves from ever there being the state overtaking the church. But no, when we immigrated, um, you know, I <laughs> joke that we went to the wrong coast, you know. Uh, we went to the left coast, <laughs> to California. And the reason for that was, again, the Calvary Chapel. Chuck Smith, but right. We That's where he's John located. Wayne section. Yeah. We mm -hmm. went to the John Wayne section, Orange County. <laughs> so that's my amendment to that. But I am so thankful that that woman who witnessed to my father with those tapes also had books on the South, also had books on America. And I, I could not stop reading about the South and reading about where I live now, which is South Carolina. I hear you. So you come here at eight. Please tell the listening audience what, even though you landed in Orange County, and I spent used to spend a lot of time in Orange County back in the '80s. So I, and, uh, Santa Ana, a lot of places I know Orange County. One of my, right, one of my friends yeah. lived in San in 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 Orange Counties. So I understand it's a beautiful place, and but LA is fairly close. Let's just put it that way. But tell people what America was like when you were growing up. You got here when you were eight, and you can tell them what year that was, and tell them what it was like then and what it seems to have devolved into for you now. I mean, look at the name of the airport, John Wayne airport. They're trying to change that because John Wayne is just a terrible person, right? Uh, look at, look at the old America that I know as you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know about the founding fathers, you know about, and let's just, let's just call it out for what it is. Manly men not effeminate men, manly men like John. Amen. Wayne. We need Amen. a whole lot more people like that. We need women who are proud to be women, women who are proud to, you know, there's so many skills that women have that men don't have. And there's many skills that men have that women don't have. And it's the most perfect compliment between the genders. And yet they want us today to be ashamed of being masculine men. They want women who are feminine to be ashamed of being a real woman. I'm being a proud woman at that. If anything, that's why I always say liberty is a great equalizer because it's not saying we're coexisting and really not. 
it's not claiming we're all about listening to everybody, but we're shutting down the Christians. It's about everybody being on the same level. But what really is sad is the America that we immigrated to has devolved. It has. It's come to a place to where the college campuses, and I went to college at Charleston and Charleston Southern years later. But I remember my first class, Gary, at College of Charleston. I never told anyone this. The first class was a lesbian teacher who came out and said, everything you ever knew about America, I'm about to debunk. And we're like, what? what? And she said, World War II, all these people you thought were heroes were male chauvinists. Everything you thought was, you know, family values, nuclear family. She said, I'm about to show you how terrible that was. And I am not kidding you when I say this. I remember one class, she came in and she said, I want you to take these home with you over the weekend and use them and come back and tell me. She brought vibrators in to the classroom. For the guys too? Homework assignment. Yes, as a homework assignment. Oh boy. Jeez. And I looked, I looked at this freshman beside me and I said, I am so sorry. I remember saying that to this girl, this freshman girl. I was a, I think I was a, a sophomore or a junior. And uh, she said, what are you talking about? This is cool. And I said, Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was getting ready world. to make a bad joke. I was going to say if, the, if, if she came in today, the kids would say, Hey, this is great. Let's, let's get together. And you know, yeah. Eric, I, yeah. why did you stay in that class? Well, you know, it, it's funny. I actually had someone ask me that when around the time, and I said, someone's going to be a light here. Someone's going to be a light. And I remember when they had, they had an assignment about history, I was the only one standing in this corner. She wanted everyone to be where they thought they were in terms of, you know, uh, modern things and, and, and traditional. And I was the only one in my class standing in this one corner. And you might as well have said that I stood in the killer section. <laughs> I, just, I stood in the section that, you know, was just... Uh, terrible but i stood there and i had so many people and you know how this is gary they came up to me afterwards and said thanks for standing i'm like why are you thanking me why weren't you standing with me yeah there you go see and and it's interesting were you marginalized back then because they didn't take you as seriously because you were an immigrant a legal immigrant but an immigrant just the same like ah you don't know you didn't grow up here you you don't know what it's like they, or 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 did it coming from another country could you say yeah i didn't grow up here so it's like somebody dropped me here from mars so i have no preconceived notions i'm just looking at it for what it is yep actually it's, it's, that's a perfect blend it, i you know I hate to fast forward a little bit, but when I stood in front of those monuments and they realized I was not on their team, so to speak, because I didn't want the monuments to come down, they took away the whole, you know, end racism mantra and started telling me to go. They were yelling, Gary, at me, go back to where you came from. Leprechaun, leprechaun. I mean, it was a chance. And And then, of course, you said, you know, I'm like three feet too tall to be a leprechaun, but that's another story. I'm a pretty tall leprechaun, exactly. Right. I'm 5'11". I'm right, so go leprechaun. back now. Since you, <laughs> since you fast-forwarded, let's go to that story. We'll, 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 we'll get to everything that led you into politics, but let's move yes. to the monuments and tell people what happened, where it happened, how it happened, and how the police had to save your bacon. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. How could I ever forget? Okay, so it was the summer of 2020, right, right around June, early part of June 2020. And, you know, we had all heard on the, you know, the TV about and, and social media about 
things happening in different parts of the state to these monuments. We heard about them being toppled, whether it was Frederick Douglass, whether it was the 54th Massachusetts, whether it was Confederate, whether it was Founding Father, it didn't seem to matter because they were monuments. And I thought, okay, this could be happening in Vermont or it could be happening in New York, but not South Carolina. There's no way. And sure enough, I was told by somebody, hey, they're threatening John C. Calhoun, the 111-foot monument um, in Charleston, right downtown, beautiful part of Charleston called Marion Square. So I said, okay, I bet you it's a couple of people who are upset, but not much. I drive down there, I get into the parking garage, and I say, Lord, help me, whatever's about to face. But I really didn't think it was much of a problem. I come out there, and I see like 50 people. And they're all wearing these black shirts, and most of them are white women. Let me make that clear. Most of them are white women, white college-age women. And so I go over to this one fella because I see they're throwing stuff at the monument. I mean, they're literally committing criminal activity. They're they're spray-painting. It's already been spray-painted, half of it. And they're throwing bottles, and they're throwing all this stuff. And uh, I go up to this one guy kind of to the corner of the perimeter. I said, hey, can you believe what they're doing over here? This is terrible. I mean, there's a way to protest. This is not the way to protest. And he looks at me like I told him the most terrible thing he's ever heard. And within three seconds, I was surrounded by this group. Of course, I stand out, as you know, with suit and tie and uh, Betsy Ross. Right. So you got the tall flag with you. Right. Yeah, right. I, I was surrounded by all these people. And I said, wait a minute. Uh, actually, no, that was before I started carrying the flag. Let me make, make a clarification. Oh, okay. that, was, that, was part of what, that was part of what inspired me. But uh, anyway, they surround me. And um, I said, well, I better pull out this phone and start interviewing these people and figure out what's going on. Let me try to have a conversation. I'm trying to be compassionate and rational. So I pull it out. And it's still on Facebook to this day. And I start trying to talk to each and one, every, every one of these people. They are not having it. They are yelling over me. And this one girl said, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. And I said, you look pretty free to me. I, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, she's like, you don't know my life. You don't. And I said, look, I'm an immigrant. Because she was trying to say that I had ancestors. I had slaves. I said, well, not really, because we were actually slaves to Britain. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it doesn't really work. In this country. But it got worse and worse. And the scary moment came, as you know, when that gentleman came up from behind me, really big fella. And. Uh, I heard, you like your life, boy? And I realized that I might die in Marion Square, Charleston, South Carolina in 2020. That that actually dawned on my mind because I'd heard about people getting stabbed. And I mean, terrible things were going on in 2020, as you remember. So I um, turned around and I said, Lord, help me. I, I remember just thinking, Lord, help me. And I looked at him and I thought about Stonewall Jackson, who said, my faith teaches me to feel as safe on the battlefield as I do in bed. And I looked at him, and I was terrified inside. Let me, let me make, make no mistake about it. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, I don't know when it's my time to go. I don't concern myself with that. And that was not me. Like, th- those are words I don't use. I know the I feeling. Don't speak like that. I know the feeling. You know? <laughs> but it was God. And I can truly say that. And he backed up from me, but then more came. And thank God, within two minutes or so, the police finally got me out of there. But what was so sad, I haven't mentioned this before. What was so sad was the police were letting this happen. They weren't intervening. They were watching, but they, didn't, they never intervened. And it was because police were so scared themselves of getting involved after George Floyd and after all that gone on that they weren't even able to protect all those businesses days later that the glass was like the night of the broken glass. All those business windows were 
were crashed in. People were using, uh, you know, bats and all kinds of weaponry to really just cause mayhem and havoc in downtown Charleston, which is one of the most beautiful cities you could ever visit historically. And that just showed me the need there was to stand up against these bullies and this mob. Yeah, and it, it was rough, but, you know, God will give you the strength. I, I know how you feel. I've been in a couple situations, and we've talked about them, where it, it was just, uh, it was Christ, because uh, I was helpless. And, and the feeling of calm that that the Bible talks about, peace that surpasses understanding, that's what it is. When yeah. you can have peace where there is no peace, there can be complete chaos around you. But it, the peace you'll have, it's not perfect peace, but it's just peace to get you through the circumstance right. and situation. Like I would assume the length of time it took all the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea and you're looking at that water, you know, up over your head and you say, <laughs> gee, you know, at any point this water could actually topple, topple down and I'm done. So, and all the time it took the, from, to cross from Egypt to the other side, you know, I'm sure there were some butterflies, but there was also a piece that as you're walking on the ocean floor and you're saying, gee, this floor is dry. Well, if God got me this far, I don't think he's brought me this far to let me go now. So that, that's a wonderful story. And it's helped to permeate your life and what has gone on. So let's go back now. You're in California, you're raised in California, then you end up going to college in South Carolina. How did you end up getting into politics where you worked on Capitol Hill and served on the staff of three national campaigns. I know Ben Carson's one, Ted Cruz was mm -hmm. two, and I assume Rick Perry was three. Well, actually, it's funny. Um, I was meeting with Dr. Carson at the same time I was meeting with Senator Cruz, and I made the very tough decision. It's funny you, you said that to go with Senator Cruz's campaign over Dr. Carson. But I cannot tell you what a wonderful man that man is, Dr. Carson. Right. We, we so who's the third? Rick Perry, is he's, he's one, right? Yes, Rick Perry was one, uh, Ted Cruz. And actually, before all of that, in 2007, John Edwards. Oh, okay. oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, oh. that, that's the one that... I, that's you what I don't talk about that. a lot. But oh, but yeah, I'm sorry. You got <laughs> Mr. Tort reform. Now we need tort reform because of him. But what, what <laughs> other things? But but what what uh what what got you from? Okay, we got to stop. We got to. I got to back up because there's something before we get into politics that has to be said, and. I watched this. I've watched these videos and I've watched people who came from other countries legally and I've watched them when they get to become United States citizens. And I watched the ceremony and you can just see the joy and adulation on their oh. faces. Please explain what it was like, what you call the proudest moment of your life when you became yeah. a United States citizen in 2016. It was in a little immigration office in North Charleston, South Carolina. I can still like see that moment. You know, there, there are certain moments in your life that you can go back to. I remember walking in and when the ceremony was going on and I heard the Star Spangled Banner, oh my gosh, there were tears, Gary, that were just streaming down. You have to understand the context of it was I had gone through a process of religious visa to applying for green card, to getting the green card, to doing the fingerprinting, to applying for the test, to finally taking the test. All of that took 18 years. 
So 18 years of that. And I finally get to come in, but it's not even a normal circumstance because I'm working on Ted Cruz's campaign <laughs> mm-hmm. as a green card holder, not, mm-hmm. not, not able to vote, but telling mm-hmm. people you get to vote. I drive 16 hours, 16 hours from Missouri in the middle of that primary <laughs> to Charleston, half asleep, one hour, I think I had one hour of sleep and I get sworn in and I'm like, and I remember just saying, I made it. I am an American. And I will never forget that day the rest of my life because I was, I was so aware in that moment that I had done it legally and I was so proud of my adopted country. And I remember, th- I remember telling someone, they remember them saying, you know, it took you a long time. And don't you think, and yes, I do think the system needs to be obviously streamlined, but if it had taken 30 years, it would have been worth it because this country is worth doing it right. And this sure. country is worth, worth the tears and the sweat. Absolutely. I understand what you're saying. I agree with you. So my question to you, and I'm going to not pose this as a question. I'm going to pose it as giving you a mic drop moment. I'm going to say something, drop the mic and let you just take the floor and say what you want. What do you have to say? What would be what you would want to tell people who hate this country, who were born here, raised here, want to see this country overthrown, want to see this country go communist, or just want to see this country completely go into the tank. The moment, the greatest moment of your life, they would want to burn you and the building at the, at the same time. What do you have to say to these people about what they have that they actually think they want to throw away? I would say to them, you don't know how good you have it. You live in a country where you can do whatever you choose to do. You have opportunities like you could never have anywhere else on the planet. And if you would just read your history and know where you come from and understand how terrible it is in other parts of the world, but how great it is here, you would be as emotional as I am. You see, growing up in Ireland and all the struggles and all the things that went through my family and permeated for generations led us to the land of the free, the home of the brave. And we live in a country where we can get up every day and choose to go to the church we want to go to. We can get up and choose to not go to a church. We can choose to get up and start a business. We can choose to get up and run for politics. We can choose to get up and help someone across the road because we can and not because we're forced. But liberty is America. They're one and the same. And I would challenge those people that you're talking about, Gary, to go to Europe right now. Go to, go to China right now. Go to Russia right now. And you tell me. You come back after that trip and you look me in the eye and you tell me this country isn't great. Amen to that, Eric. See, and the problem is people have to understand there's a difference between being great and being perfect. See, there's been a lot of people that were great. Michael Jordan was great. You know, there were fighters who were great. There were politicians. There were all actors and actors. They were all great, but none of them were perfect. Even Mr. Mm-hmm. Football himself, Bill Belichick, has lost about three Super Bowls. There's no, See, and people don't have to understand the greatness of America is that we're always trying to where the ungreatness is to correct all the problems. Those don't happen in other countries. I agree with you completely. Just send them to Venezuela right now. Send them over there for two weeks and see what happens. 
You know, it, it, it send them to Canada right now with that nut, you know, and see what happens. You know, or even send them, as you would say, to send them to Ireland and and, and see mm-hmm. see what happens. So, uh, how are you perceived? In in other words. We'll get back to how you got into this, but since we just talked about this element, this is what you talk about to people. You carry the flag, tell them what Betsy is or who Betsy is, why you carry Betsy, and the message that you deliver as you go in South Carolina and around the country talking about freedom and liberty, and we can't give it up. You know, it's funny. I've had a few people say to me, Eric, you know, don't you think it's a little over the top to be carrying a flag all the time? Don't you think it's a little over the top to be wearing a suit and tie and you're carrying a five foot flag? You know, what I tell them, I tell them, this is no prop for me. This flag and me stood in front of a lot of danger. You see, after that occasion at the Calhoun Monument, I began to realize that the only way, the only way, to rally patriots was behind a flag. You see, years and years ago, when I did reenacting, I did Civil War reenacting, my mom prophetically called me flag bearer. Mm-hmm. Flag bearer. Mm-hmm. Because I used to carry the flag back then. And when you would look at, whether it was the Battle of Valley Forge, you look at the Battle of Yorktown, there was always the flag. The flag is what led the troops on. The Star Spangled Banner. And the flag was still there. And I thought to myself, if people would rally behind the founding of the country, you see, everyone talks about, obviously, old glory, but there would be no old glory if it wasn't for Betsy Ross. What I mean? Well, there's 13 stars in the Betsy Ross flag. Well, those represent the original 13 colonies, and one of them is South Carolina. But if it hadn't been for the courage of a much smaller part of the country, and really the 3%ers, 3% of the colonies, there would be no old glory, there would be no United States of America. So when I walk around that flag, Gary, it is, <laughs> it is something, because I walk into businesses, I, never, I don't think I've ever told you this, I walk into businesses, and I, before they even, even open their mouths, I know how they feel about me when they look at me. They see that flag and they either tremble and think I'm a insurrectionist, or they welcome me with open arms and say, I love that. I've had so many veterans, Gary, tell me, thank you for carrying that flag the way you do. Thank you for standing with that with pride. And I do. But that flag to me has been through a lot. It's been spat on, that one you see me with. Mm-hmm. Spat on. Really? Black Lives Matter. Been tear gassed at January 6th. It's been through a lot. Wow. Well, since you brought up January 6th, I saw the picture. I have a picture. I just saw it today. I saw Dan Harville there, John and Chrissy DeLimmi's in there. There's a whole bunch of people that I recognize in that picture. What is your recollection of what happened and the aftermath? Yes. So I remember um, I was obviously marching with the president. He said for us to, or he told us to march Pennsylvania Avenue. And Gary was one of the greatest moments of my life, marching with uh, Chinese immigrants. I remember seeing rabbis. I saw pastors. I saw it was like the, it was like the great tapestry of America. All races marching together. I even met that awesome MAGA rapper. Uh, what's his name? Bryson uh, Gray. Bryson Gray. Yeah, yeah. Right. Bryson Gray. And we, we even talked. And I just remember thinking, if there ever was an American moment, this is it. <laughs> We're marching <laughs> for a free and fair election down Pennsylvania Avenue. Can you get any better than that? 
So, you know, we get, I was on the inauguration side. I think I was about 10 rows back from the front. And I remember thinking, you know, this is good. We've got a presence here. The members of Congress can come, can look out and see us. They see that we're here. And, and in my mind, we're here to sing God bless America and pray that they make the right decision. All we're calling for was a 10-day audit. That's it, just a 10-day audit. And what was crazy to me was I remember there was a moment where I looked up and I saw these people, you know, guarding the bed. I said, well, that's, you know, that's, they got to do what they got to do up there. But when they started firing into the crowd, I thought, oh, boy, we're in, a, we're in a new territory now. And when I got hit in the leg with that rubber bullet and I was bleeding and I said, what, what just happened? <laughs> and as I'm going <laughs> oh down, to think, as yeah. I'm going down to figure out what happened to my left leg, tear gas just I just remember seeing boom, 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 all across. And then I can't breathe because I already have respiratory problems and you can't move because there's so many people. So I'm trying to get out of there and I am, I feel like I'm losing consciousness. And I remember Patriots just kind of pushing me back, back away from, and that's what's so great when, when people are together and they, and they're looking out for one another, what can happen? And they got me out of there and I was tasting tear gas. <laughs> Like the next oh, morning, wow. that's how that's how potent it was. But I, you know, I've talked to folks with, you know, federal folks and everything, and they only asked me, "Did you go in the building?" I said, "Of course, I didn't go in the building. <laughs> I was an intern in Congress. I used to give tours of that building. I would never do anything to that." And I said, "I want you to put this down on the record. Thousands of us did nothing wrong. Thousands of us did absolutely nothing wrong. We were protesting an unfree, an unfair election. But yeah, that flag has been through." been through the war gary yeah speaking of what happened on the six as an immigrant or even an american citizen or both can you believe what has happened and that people are in jail they're not even prisoners they're like they're they're really they're they're really like political prisoners they're not even really prisoners they they're just there you know uh can you would you have ever believed anything like that could happen in the united states there's two words, due process, due process. And that's part of what America is, is having your due process. The fact that that's, regardless of how you feel about any one of those people that day, you, are, you deserve due process. That's right. like part of being the word America. And I think what drives me crazy is, and I, I, I've been interviewed reportedly by, uh, multi, by multiple outlets about this, and I've said to them, wait a minute, so the burning of buildings in Atlanta, uh, the absolute carnage and people are getting shot downtown Atlanta and all across the South in 2020. Where's the five-year sentences for them? Where's the, where's, where is the uh, justice system with people who scared the people of Charleston night after night in 2020? Where is the, where, where is the witch hunt of every one of these people like we've seen after January 6th people? The fact that they even called me is, is lunacy. It, you, you could have seen me clear as day. Everything I did was above board, and I'm proud of what I did because I wanted to be you know, standing with honor, dignity, and respect. I used to teach people that at the monuments. Dude, never allow your side to be ugly while they're showing who they are. How would George Washington stand? How would Patrick Henry stand? Honor, dignity, and respect. And um, no, Gary, I never imagined that we'd be in a world or a country where one side is calling for justice, justice, and yet they're not giving that justice to the other side. That's, they're just as much Americans. They're just as much your American brethren. 
as folks that you pollute. It, it shouldn't even have to do with politics at all. It should have nothing to do with Republican Democrats. It should be due process and having your time in court. And the fact that people have been in the conditions they've been in, I think, is egregious. Uh, I absolutely agree with you, Eric. Now, let's go back. So you're in college. How did you go from college to working on Capitol Hill and serving on the staff of um, two national campaigns and one campaign we won't talk about, the third one? But what, how did <laughs> no, how no, did? <laughs> OK, well. Okay, but how do we how do we get from there to this? Why was that your passion? Why did you decide to go that route? I, I'm so glad you asked that. So, you know, what's amazing is and this is why I can talk to anybody, because I remember being duped in 2007. Um, I went to work for John Edwards because I wanted to end poverty. I thought that'd be great. That the, hey, the government coming in and helping people. That sounds awesome. Of course, I'm 17 and a half at the time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I remember thinking, you know, this guy, John Edwards, seems genuine and he's barnstorm around Iowa and he wants to help people. Well, from my own experience, not because of my mommy or my daddy, but because of what I saw, I realized real quick that it was a big lie. That it, in actuality, they were running to keep people where they are. There you promote. go. Keep people locked in there thinking they're going to come up the ladder when they're only getting, you know, uh, they're getting a little more money staying at home, a little more money from the government, but really never being free. And you're the one that said the plantation term, and that is so accurate. And what grieves me is how many immigrants believe it, how many immigrants have bought in, not just folks who've been in poverty a long time. And so when I worked for Edwards and I, you know, again, I was just a volunteer. I was 17 and a half. But when I experienced that for what it was, I remember I got the swine flu. Do you remember that? People got that swine flu thing. Absolutely. And God revealed to me as I was having to sleep sitting upwards that I was in the wrong party <laughs> and <laughs> okay. that I needed to yeah. assess what mm-hmm. was going on. But I was like, you know what? I'm so glad that I have experienced this because I can tell other people when I saw that Barack Obama was thanking the first people he was thanking, you remember narrow one of the most pro abortion groups in the country, he was promoting the LGBT groups and everything in his his first, some of the first stuff in his acceptance speech as president of the United States. And it blew me away. I said, wait a minute. I never was for this. Even when I was with Edwards, I would tell people I'm an evangelical Democrat. I had people going, what What? What are you talking about? I remember, I remember before we knocked on doors when I said, guys, we need to pray. We need to pray that God gives the words to say these people. And this one guy said, we don't do that around here. We don't do that praying stuff. And, you know, God, again, was, was planting seeds in me. But I remember when I made it to South Carolina in 2011 that I worked on college Republicans. I built up a pretty big group at Charleston Southern University. Very proud to give them a shout out. Love CSU. And their whole motto is integrating faith in learning, leading, and serving. And I can remember being reached out to by the Rick Perry campaign. And Rick Perry to me is like, you know, John Wayne slash Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. you know, of governors. Uh, what he did in Texas is unbelievable. His record was, I think, the best of Texas history. And all the jobs he created, you know, 40% of America's jobs coming through Texas, and especially from that year of two, from two, uh, 2000 to 2009. And I remember Governor Perry um, brought me on his team. We went across the state. We shared about his testimony. I was getting pastors to get to know him, but he dropped out early because it was 17 people running. 
And I said, well, you know, that was great. I had a great job for like a couple of months <laughs> and now I'm unemployed. But I thankfully got to meet with all these different candidates. And I was asking them, what are you going to do about not just illegal immigration, which is an enormous problem, but what are you going to do about legal immigration? Because that's another problem. Because the way it's done is just, it's a lot of people getting paid to not do a whole lot, to be frank with you. Mm -hmm. And so I asked Ben Carson, I asked Ted Cruz, I asked Marco Rubio, I was with Jeb Bush. And Dr. Carson, I have to share the story real quick. When we were sitting together at the Greenville Hilton, downtown Greenville, I remember um, I was only supposed to get 15 minutes or 10 minutes with him over breakfast. He gave me an hour. <laughs> and we were talking about that issue, but getting people from the pew to the voting booth. And, and Katie Couric was supposed to do a day in the life of Ben Carson that day. And she was annoyed because I was taking all this time <laughs> in, the morning, in the morning part of his, of his day. And supposedly, I, I don't know if it was her people or his, but they were kind of coming in and whispering to him. And at one moment, he looked aggravated. And he said to me, you know, Eric, let's keep her waiting a little bit longer. I'm really there enjoying you go. the conversation. There and I know. said, man, I love Dr. Carson. But I came out of there anyway, and after really praying about it, I went to work for Senator Ted Cruz. And I went to six states with Senator Cruz. Um, I brought pastors in from all the country to hear him, uh, get behind him. And it was a really rewarding experience. But then again, he dropped out of the race. And the joke is I, I went back to Monk's Corner, a nice little rural town in South Carolina, and prayed there about what God was going to do next. And next was what? So after that, I went to work for a nonprofit organization that's linked with a focus on the family. You know, we all know Dr. James Dobson. Dr. Dobson, right. Uh, yes. Yeah. And I worked with basically a sister organization on abortion, human trafficking. I rallied a network called the Nehemiah Network, over 400 pastors that I personally vetted uh, to join us to fight on these issues, uh, social issues of our time. And we were able to push through a lot of great legislation, fighting human trafficking, standing for pro-life policies. Eventually, we got the heartbeat built through. But that pastor's network played a, a huge role in that. I called them, you know, they were the Black Road Regiment. They were uh, the Nehemiah Network because I said, well, look, we got to be like Nehemiah. we got to pray and build a wall. And we got to build a wall back of South Carolina mm -hmm. that's been torn down. And so, well, anyway, that led to 2020. And 2020 changed my life. That's for sure. I hear you. So uh, you became the leader of the South Carolina Citizens Organization, SC We the People, right? Well, yes. tell us about that, and then uh, we'll get into your current business that uh, a lot of people really, really need to know about. I had a lot of people, yeah, I'd say a few people maybe, but they were prominent, who told me, Eric, you are picking the worst possible time to start any kind of nonprofit slash citizens group no, nobody's going to join it there they you know they need to be they need to be with an established organization how many times have you heard that an established name an established organization donald trump didn't care about that, that with that kind of verbiage and i remember just thinking nope nope this is the exact right time and i prayed about it and i counseled my dad about it my dad john henry corcoran who we wouldn't be in america if it wasn't for him he was like i call him like a, a modern day abraham took us to the united states and he said eric Whatever God tells you to do, do not listen to man, listen to God. And I remember just going, it's time. So I launched out with South Carolina, we the people. And the emphasis on that, of course, was keeping our history, was taking a stand for religious liberty, fighting against abortion, ending human trafficking, and finding out what is going on with our voting, having election integrity. 
And so, you know, Gary, I didn't have big donors. I didn't have lots of media coverage. I was used to that when I worked on the presidential campaigns. I had none of that. Nobody cared. But you know who did care? We the people. Because it went from 50 people to 70 people to 100 people to now 29,000 people in South Carolina. We the people. And these are ordinary patriots that love their country. And they got on board. And because of that, we pushed through legislation uh, because of all the calls we made on the heartbeat bill. We helped the other organizations make that happen. Uh, we fought to, you know, we didn't do what we did. That monument called the Defenders of Charleston, beautiful monument, would be gone. I am telling you, as God is my witness, it would be gone because there were threats that these big cars were going to come in and pull the thing mm-hmm. off. And then they, they would ask, they'd say sorry later. But because we had people that had, you know, camera equipment and keep an eyes on the monument, 24 hours, that monument is still there today. So after all of that, I began to realize a lot of people would be more involved if they weren't so afraid of losing business. And that's what led to the beginning of Businesses for Liberty. Right. Now, please tell people what Businesses for Liberty is and why they should get involved. Go to the Business for Liberty website see what it's about, and tell them the service that you're providing. So of all the things I've done, you've heard some, <laughs> some adventures, right? Of all these things, this is the most rewarding and fulfilling thing I have ever done. I've ever done. And I've had some pretty wild adventures. And I'll tell you why. It's because we are living out our motto, patriots supporting patriots. Patriots, You right. see, we really believe that if we build our own economy, that are these things, unapologetically pro-life, pro-liberty, pro-history, pro-Second Amendment, and America first, if we know who those business owners are, that we'll be proud to do business with them. You see, I think Americans, Gary, are tired, worn out, fed up with this stuff pushed in their face all the time. They're told they have to submit to what the government says they need to be thinking. They have to submit to the wokeism manual. They have to believe in what these Antifa groups are scaring people into believing. And they got to run away from the flag. Because they were told, of course, Betsy Ross, you can't, you can't display that anywhere. You can't display almost the American flag anymore. And I thought, wait a minute, what if, what if business owners got more business because people knew they were pro-life, pro-liberty, pro-history, pro-Second Amendment, and America first. And here we are today, you know, only about a year or so into this, and we've got 177 businesses that are personally vetted by me, that are pro-life, pro-liberty, pro-history, pro-Second Amendment, and America first, in 16 states. And not only that, we got 40,000 people on 10 social media platforms, including True Social, very proud to be on there with 7,000 that are supporting those businesses. So when you come on board, you're asking about the services. When you come on board, it depends on what you want to do. But again, this is a, this is a business. I promote these people. I advertise for them if they are patriots. We do interviews. You get to put on the website. We do, um, you know, I, I do update posts for folks. We've had Coffee for Liberty meetings. Those are my favorite. Actually, I'd love to talk to you about that in a minute. Coffee for Liberty meetings. We've got rallies we do once a year. Uh, we've got vendor events. Um, we do everything we can to literally connect every patriot who is either a business owner or a business consumer. See, and people, the reason this is important, one of the reasons the left 
has been able to push their radical agenda is we keep buying their products and they keep giving their they're giving money to abortion clinics to lgbq and all the other all the radical george soros groups and everything to black lives matter to funding all kind of terrorism because we buy from people and then they donate the money to causes to destroy this nation and what eric is saying this group these businesses, businesses for liberty, and go on the website, you can see who the people are. They are pro-life, they are pro-liberty, they are pro-history, and they are for America first. So these are people that will give you great services, but the money they make and the money they keep is not going to go to anti-American and forces that are looking to bring America down, right? Absolutely. And I will tell you this, you saw me do it in the speech, when you pull out your wallet, making a decision every time you pull that out and you make a purchase it's going somewhere and you put it very well there at the beginning we're how can we complain about what the left is doing when we're funding the left how can you go to january 6th and be standing there with a starbucks mug and drink from that and think oh i'm standing for liberty no no you're supporting a business let's just start with starbucks where the ceo Mm -hmm that he didn't even want Christians frequenting his business. Why would any Christian go in there? I, I do not understand. And I hope someone who's listening to this, who's been going there, will go, you know what? Why am I still going there? You have to question all these things. I don't think people do these things maliciously. I think that we have been our biggest adversary, uh, excuse me, our, our biggest, uh, you know, I guess you could say enemy is not Joe Biden, believe it or not. It's not the media, believe it or not. It's not even socialism. It's convenience. We're surrounded by Starbucks and Walmart and fast food, which is terrible for you to begin with. It's not even real food. And secondly, it's woke. Beyond woke, all they care about is the green dollar. They don't care about America. They don't care about all the things, those five issues I just listed. But the businesses that I am promoting, the 177 businesses you can go on to, do care. And I've asked every single one of them, where are they at? And if they're at all wobbly, it's important I say this, if they're kind of wobbly on the life issue, they're kind of wobbly, then we don't do business with them. I don't promote mm-hmm. them. I mm-hmm. can't even talk about them joining businesses for liberty. And that's very important because I want the, these, these patriots to know the work is going in behind the scenes to make sure that you can have a great conscience doing business. And I also say this, the experience, when you go into a small business, you actually get to know the owner. You actually, they actually care about what your name is. They want to know how your day is going. When you go to a big box office store, they don't care. You're just another number. You mm-hmm. just go through the pecking order like everybody else. But when you go to one of our businesses, they'll treat you with respect. And sometimes they even give a nice little discount just because you identify yourself as a patriot with our movement. And I love that. Yeah, I, I hear it. And I, I've been on the website. I looked. I looked at some of the testimonies and and I understand. And, and this, this is how we can start accruing wealth and sending the money to the right places, people, because as, as Eric said, people take their discretionary income and they use it for something. Are they going to use it for God, family and constitution or are they going to use it to try and destroy God, family, and constitution, and lead us into a communist environment. Now, did Donald Trump have to win you over, or did you just see it right from the start? 
You know, it's funny, and I'm one of those people, again, I worked on Ted Cruz's campaign back in the day, but if you look up, actually, this would be funny, if you look up Eric Corcoran, Donald Trump, it should still be there. There's a Daily Beast article where we we actually, it was our last victory in Wisconsin, it was Ted Cruz's last victory in the primaries. And they tried every way, Gary, to get me to say something negative about <laughs> Donald Trump. They tried, oh my goodness, they were exhausted by the time they were done. But every time I said, look, I believe in Ted Cruz. I, w- I am for this campaign. I have nothing negative to say. I'm not going to, you know. And I had never really felt negative towards Donald Trump. We were obviously in a contest. It was a Republican primary. But I can tell you years before, I had read a lot of Trump's books. You think about some of his business books and the way he does business is makes so much more sense than what a lot of people are taught in college because Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur is true freedom and if you go back to the pioneers at the beginning of the country they were entrepreneurs they weren't working nine to five they weren't clocking in and clocking out (laughs) they were building new things every day and donald trump is a builder so i'll tell you early on with trump i was impressed by his work acumen um the fact that he was told you're just fred trump's son at 29 years old and he left queens (laughs) you know this more than anybody and went to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And what did he do with Belly the of the Beast? Yep. Yes, he turned into Trump Tower. So I would say early on, but yeah, when I met him, I was so nervous, you know, in 2015. Why? Why? Was, why? Well, I was, I was, you know, a college, about to graduate from college. I was told last minute, hey, do you want to meet Donald Trump? No, I'm busy, actually. You know, <laughs> of course I want to meet Donald Trump. And so I get out there. I'm with some of the college students from the Citadel. And, you know, I get a minute with, with this, with Mr. Donald Trump himself. And he said, what do you want to do, kid? And I said, oh, sir, uh, I, I want to be a political staffer. I, it's the best thing I can come out with. And I remember him looking at me and just saying, think big, think bigger. You know, and I remember thinking, I think that's pretty big, you know, at the time. And I realize now I can't wait to have our second conversation. Um, I can't wait to tell him about what we're doing. Uh, yeah, wonderful. Thanks. So now, uh, this is the big question. And uh, I only I ask this of every guest because nobody has the same answer. What do you think is the biggest problem that you see today in America and how do we fix it? You know, my answer might be different than a lot of others, um, but it's because of the twofold fight for me between our history and needing our own economy. We are our own worst enemy many times. Many times we are in our comfort zone. We saw, it in, we saw it in 2020. People were scared of their own shadow. But when faith overcomes fear, that's when things happen. That's when patriotism really rises. You look at any point in American history when faith in God was stronger than faith over what people thought of them. That is when real patriotism emerged. So I would answer your question by saying this. I think the greatest enemy, again, that we face is comfort and convenience. Mm. And I believe if this would drive a little further, if they would come together with our Coffee for Liberty meetings. Let me just tell you a little bit about those meetings. Please do. Please do. We bring patriots. We've done 18 of them now in South Carolina. We bring patriots into the same room, whether it's a church, whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's a restaurant or someone's home. And all I do, it's, it's probably the most simple setup you've ever imagined. Obviously, Betsy's right there with me. We've got a circle of chairs. 
We, we provide the coffee. We pr- provide the cookies, whatever people want. And I ask every single person in that room, what is your name? Why are you a patriot? What do you do for a living? And how can we rally behind you? Whether that's prayer, whether you need a job, whether you're looking for new workers, whether you're looking for a new church, what is it? And I always say in the meetings, do not leave this room till you let what's going on inside out. You are with patriots. You can speak here. You can speak freely. And Gary, we have been there on average probably three hours every time. Three hours. And when we're even done, nobody wants to leave because people want to connect with other people that are there because they hear what somebody's doing and they go, hey, I need that. Or, hey, uh, I'm so excited that you have a church that's a Patriot church. I'd love to come check it out. Everybody starts pairing off. And that, to me, is how we fight back. Right, because we need this grassroots. Do you you think, Eric, the grassroots movement is working? Because there's so many grassroots movements that are, you know, because the media shut everything down and and it uh, seems people are starting to form these little groups and these grassroots groups and, and, and in an attempt to save this nation, take our country back, trying, you know, having to deal with uh, election integrity, election fraud and everything else that's going on. Do you see it working and do you see uh, success coming in the uh, 2022 midterms? It is working. And I will tell you this, the, the, the one thing that kept me afloat when there was even division amongst, you know, patriots, whether it was the pro-life issue, the monument issue was when you put principles over personalities, that's when you keep your freedom. And I think very often people are looking for whether it's credit or they want territorialism. We don't have time for any of that. We've got a country under attack by people that hate our country. They hate our history. They want, they, they, they want to keep Roe versus Wade. They want to destroy everything that you and I love about America. They want to make it into, like you said earlier, they want it to be like Venezuela. And the only way that we fight back is by putting those principles ahead of everything else, our faith and what we believe in. And I believe it's working, and I can tell you why. Because people who didn't know each other before know each other now because of our movement. People who had never known that this person was a real estate agent, this person had a bakery, this person had a restaurant, are now going purposefully. And and here's the thing, not just supporting them politically, supporting their livelihood. That's that's very real, Gary. People have got to live, and we're helping them live. We're helping them also not only live and live well, but we're helping them realize that they don't have to cater to their woke customers as much. They don't have to shut up about politics and be quiet because they got to keep a living. They can speak even louder because they got patriot consumers who have their back. Yeah, and we, we have to do this because it's, it's up to us now because, uh, you know, people, a lot of people saying, well, let Donald Trump do it or let the politicians do it. Well, you found out about your politicians and you found out part of the biggest problem Trump had wasn't the Democrats. It was his own side and the establishment and the rhinos and everything. And obviously the mainstream media, it's against it. The evangelical churches have been Marxized. You know, a lot of uh, social justice stuff coming through there instead of the Jesus pick up my cross and follow him daily. This whole thing is under assault and it has basically driven us to open our eyes and see if we don't do what we can each individually, no matter how large or small you think it is, 
this country, you know, is in grave danger. And as you know, if we pray, if people who know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ pray and ask God for forgiveness and to heal our land, he will answer that prayer. You know, Eric, I really, truly appreciate you coming on. Please tell people how they can reach you and the uh, social media sites of anything you'd like to promote. Absolutely. Well, the easiest ways are if you go to our website, businesses, so not business, businesses, plural, businessesforliberty.com. You can check out our directory so you can know that they're all listed there. And again, all those people have been vetted. We're in 16 states. You can look up by category of business and location. So that's very helpful. If you're looking for something specific, you can look that up. Uh, Secondly, and I'm very open about this, just give me a call, 843-754-5630. Why do I say that? Because I want to talk to you. Uh, You know, half of what I do is talking to people on the phone and hearing their story. And that's how I vet. I I don't want to just know what you write down and that's what you stand for. No, no. What is your journey? to where you are today. And then that journey continues. And then finally, our email is businesses, businesses for liberty at protonmail.com. Businesses for liberty at protonmail.com. And I do want to say this too, Gary, that after we conclude this interview, I'm going to be sharing your stuff in all my places. We need to get rally behind you. <laughs> like, you know, people like you. Well, I, I thank you. Real just, news, just a voice absolutely. in the wilderness. One voice crying out in the wilderness. <laughs> We need to rally behind Benford. And, and I'll tell you, people need to be excited about getting real news. Um, they need to be excited about sharing interviews that you're doing because these are people that need support. You know, I was listening to some of your other interviews, you know, understanding the threat. That was a great one. People need to know what the threat is. People need to know that there's a way to fight back and we've got to have the Second Amendment stronger than ever. We need sheriffs to do their constitutional duty. I'm totally behind what they're doing there, whether it's Sarah Lynch and Jeff Lynch. And that's one of our businesses, Jeff Lynch mm-hmm. Appliances. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Greenville, South Carolina. But the, the, the fact is, we've got, got to rally behind one another. And that takes all the pride and territorialism, all that out the window. Do you think George Washington and them were worried about that stuff when they're going across the Delaware in the freezing cold? They were fighting together. They were keeping each other literally warm. We have to have that kind of mindset. We're in the huddle together. Well, I I thank you for the kind words. And I will say one of the things that with the mainstream media, you know, just taking over and being run by the Marxists and everything and our voice being silenced, it has led to people like myself and thousands of people around the country just getting their their podcasts or their live shows going to get the truth out. And we all have our little audience, whatever it may be. You know, we can't do what Fox News used to do, but there is strength in numbers and there's a lot of people out there a lot of good people out there that have their podcasts have their shows i have been blessed that i've had you know been able to start out hit the ground running with uh high profile guests and um i just try and get the word out and the thing is something that you just said people say well is reaching this that and the other thing part of the point is they're there their archive, like you went back and listened to John Guandolo and understanding the thread and some other things. You can actually go back and listen to yourself from two years ago, but they're there. And when this thing bursts open and people are going to look for news and say, where can I find the truth? There's a whole lot of people spread out across the country 
that have been kicking this truth out over the internet. And I do believe all of us one day, this truth is gonna be found. And and it'll be right there at people's fingertips and they're not gonna have to go hunting and pecking or not gonna have to go and get a whole bunch of people starting to put the truth out to let everybody know how this country devolved to where it is today. That truth is already out there. All they have to do is press a button and listen to it. So I really, truly thank you for what you do. And give the people, in closing, words of encouragement, because you're very good at that. You know, we do live in a time of darkness. But I always say, when the country is the darkest, patriots can shine the brightest. If you look back at the times when Christians were persecuted, when was faith the most real? When faith was under the most attack. And I would challenge you, whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you're listening to this, or you're a pastor, or you're a business owner, your voice matters. We need you in this fight. Donald Trump needs our help. And people like Donald Trump cannot fight this alone. We've got to rally together. All of us have a sphere of influence. You know, some people say, oh, I don't have a big following of people. You know what? You could be a lot more effective with 10 people. God used 12 people to change the world, 12 disciples. Amen. And how often, how often is it that we don't even realize the effect we're having on people? People are watching you. People are watching how you post on social media. They're watching how you treat people. They're watching. You say you're a patriot. You say you're a conservative. Well, where's the courage? Where's your leadership in your family? Where's your leadership in your church or in your business? You can do that starting today. Uh, there you go. Words of truth and words of wisdom from a patriot, a patriot who came from another country and is actually leading the charge, showing us how to get this done. I really enjoyed speaking with you again, and I enjoyed the two days we had the first weekend in May down in Greenville, South Carolina at the Rock the Red. You rocked it and continue rocking it. Thank you for coming on, Eric Corcoran. God bless you, Gary. God bless you and your family. There you have it, Mr. Eric Corcoran. Please check out the website, Businesses for Liberty. I want to thank Eric Corcoran for passionately sharing and blaring his love for America throughout the airwaves. He's given all of us something to think about. If he is this appreciative as an immigrant from Ireland, how much more should we be having been raised in certainly not a perfect country? There isn't such a thing, but the best this earth has to offer. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.